This morning we are finishing our look at some of Jesus' parables that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been looking for the past few weeks during what many observe as the season of Lent as we gather together uh, and prepare for celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at parables that have to do with judgment. Judgment is not one of those things we like to just talk about all the time or think about a lot. And yet, as we gather to the cross this coming week, judgment is an important theme because Christianity is based on a death, not an accidental death, not a death that was meant to be an example, but a death that was a form of judgment. Judgment for our sins is why Jesus died on the cross, and the judgment of God also plays a part in the resurrection, for Christ was vindicated from that death when he rose again from the dead. And so judgment is a very important subject in the scriptures, and we finish our look at that today with perhaps the most well-known of Jesus' parables on the subject of judgment, and that is the parable of the sheep and the goats. We can find it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, Verses 31 through 46. It is page 988 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous 
into eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are not a God who leaves us in silence or darkness, but you are a God who speaks to us through the scriptures. And we pray, O oh God, that you would speak through this word today, that you would help us to hear it as uncomfortable as it can be to hear at times and as convicting as it may be for us. It may indeed be an encouragement for us. But Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would use this word that it is inspired and go forth and go forth into our hearts and minds, and may our hearts and minds be open to receive your word today, and may you use me, O oh God, simply as a mouthpiece, as something to share, someone to share your word, and nothing more. So may we be filled with truth today, and so cl- grow closer to you, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning's parable deals with judgments, and it has a question for us. And the question it is asking us is, is there evidence for our faith? Is there evidence to support our faith? As we consider that, we need to see there's a scene of God's judgment and to understand how judgment works and then to really look at what Jesus is doing in more detail. See, the parable portrays a scene of God's judgment. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He says that he will come to judge the earth. We professed this together when the kids led us in the Apostles' Creed, that we believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus tells us in this parable what this judgment will be like. He says, Before him will be gathered all the nations. Jesus is not simply going to judge those who profess to be Christians, but every single person from every single nation from every single time period, that no one will be able to opt out of God's judgment, that everyone will be called before the throne. And at that throne, he describes a scene of separation, that he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The original audience may have been familiar with this image of first century shepherding. That when the temperatures dropped in the evening, a mixed flock of sheep and goats would often be separated. The sheep, with their very warm, thick wool, could stay in the elements, and the goats needed to be brought in to shelter. We may not be familiar with that kind of separation, but as humans, we naturally and often sinfully separate ourselves into groups for all kinds of reasons, based on common taste and interest, on opinions, on education, by age, race, socioeconomic status, our language, our political affiliation, our nationality, or our ethnic heritage. The list could really go on for some time. But in this parable, Jesus shows us that only one separation truly matters. The separation that he will make at the final judgment. That's what this parable of judgment focuses on. How Christ will judge the living and the dead and what will separate people one from another. And he tells us in verses 34 and following. But before we look at that, we need to look at one little word. 
One very little word in this passage that helps us to understand the distinction between a basis for our judgment and the evidence to support that judgment. And that little word is for, F-O-R, for. See, this word is used a few times to explain the judgment. This word has a variety of meanings, despite its shortness. For can mean because, meaning here is the basis of my judgment, the reason I am making my judgment. But for can also be used to explain by saying, as you can see, meaning here is the evidence that explains my judgment. Similar to how in James chapter 2, it says, show me your faith by your works. It's evidence. And that's what he's using it as here, because we know from the rest of Scripture that the basis of God's judgment is whether or not someone has been saved by Jesus Christ. And a number of different phrases are used to describe that. We are chosen by God, elected by God, adopted by God, that we are born again in Christ, that we trust in Jesus or have faith in him. Our good deeds are never the basis of salvation. And so Jesus is using that little word for to say, here is the evidence that supports my decision. You can put it in terms of fruit, an analogy Jesus uses elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew. One commentator says it this way, that the good works that the righteous perform are not the root, but rather the fruit of grace. If you go outside... It's raining, so don't go outside. If you go outside into my front yard, you will see a number of trees. And most people are amateur botanists like myself who don't know a whole lot about trees, and they would look very much the same because there's nothing on them yet. Soon there will be. But there are two trees in our front yard that are unmistakably apple trees when they have apples on them. It is the evidence of the fact that they are apple trees. But they're always apple trees. Even right now, when there are no apples on them, there are apples inside. Rather, the apples simply give evidence. They show you what they are. The apples don't make them apple trees. They've always been apple trees. Similarly, our good works don't save us, don't make us Christians in the eyes of God. Rather, they are evidence of what we are. Evidence that we have indeed been saved by God. And so what Jesus is saying in verses 34 and following is, I want to show you the fruit that helps me to see how you are separated. What is that fruit? Jesus says to those on his right, my right, your left, apologies. It's going to get confusing. On his right, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The fruit of our faith that Jesus points to is caring for people in need. And Jesus specifically points to tangible care for people in need. Because sometimes we can claim to care for the poor But we don't actually do all that much for those in need. We can feel pity. We can have concern. But like the hypothetical person in James 2, we don't actually do anything to help them. Jesus points to evidence of actual compassion and tangible care for those who are needy. 
Well, why, why is this the fruit he is looking for? Timothy Keller writes on this passage saying that one's heart attitude to the poor reveals one's heart attitude towards Christ. That no heart that loves Christ can be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. It sounds a lot like fruit language. An apple tree cannot help but produce apples. That's just the kind of tree it is. Jesus is saying Christians can't help but care for the poor and needy. It's just who God has made us to be. But it seems here that Jesus is describing something a little more specific than care for the needy in general. He says, if you do these things for one of the least of these, my brothers. And he identifies himself with all of these instances. When you saw me, when I was helped, He's saying these actions were done from him. These statements suggest that he is not just thinking about care for the poor in general, but more specifically, care for our fellow Christians. In our, new, in our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 15, we saw God outline the concern for the poor that we are supposed to have, and he stipulates again and again, we should care for our poor brother, that is, fellow Israelite in poverty, that our faith, should lead us to especially care for our fellow Christians who are in need. And it doesn't matter how different they are from us or how we may separate ourselves from them in terms of age, education, race, income, where they go to church. It doesn't matter how badly they have hurt us or wronged us in the past. We are to care for them simply because they are people loved by Jesus who are in need. This is the evidence Jesus is pointing to that he says helps him separate people at his judgment. Again, people are not saved because they did these good deeds. Rather, these good deeds are evidence, fruit of the fact that we have been saved. And so similarly, people are not condemned simply because they failed to do good deeds, but rather their lack of good deeds are an evidence of a lack of true faith. This should make us ask that question the parable makes us ask. A very important and a very sobering question. Is there supporting evidence for our faith in Jesus Christ? One of the best ways I've ever heard that question asked is this way. If you were on trial for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And what would that evidence be? We should take that question very seriously because the people on Jesus' left were surprised. They were very surprised at where they stood. And notice that they are never called wicked. They are never called unrighteous. They are never called sinners. The worst they are called is goats. And that's not really meant to be all that bad. Jesus says they are cursed, but that is what God is doing to them. That is not some quality about them. And yet Jesus says this is the group that will be sent to the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and yet they are never called wicked. Probably because they would have never considered themselves wicked in the first place. 
You see their surprise when they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not help you? That question implies if we had seen like literally Jesus naked, we would have said, okay, well, at least take my shirt, please. Or if Jesus was in prison, we would go see Jesus, right? But having never seen Jesus himself in need of help, they assumed they were good. They assumed that they were not wicked and therefore they must be God's people. Why'd they feel that way? I think there's two reasons that this passage points us to. And the first is this, that they were guilty of sins of omission. That's distinct from sins of commission. Sins of commission are things we actively do wrong, like stealing, lying, lustful desires, gossip, greed, drunkenness. Sins of omission, though, are things that we should have done but did not do. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. Jesus never says to the goats on his left, here are all the wicked things you did. He says, here are all the good things you didn't do. So often we can make our case that we are a Christian based on a lack of evidence of bad deeds. We say, I'm a Christian, as you can see, for I am not a drunk. I do not cheat on my spouse. I do not steal from others. I do not gossip. I do not yell at my children that much. I do not worship other gods. And we proudly present this lack of evidence to say, clearly, we are not wicked, so we do not deserve hell. Jesus is saying, yes, there may be a lack of evidence there, but there is a lack of evidence to support your faith as well. Who are the sick people you visited? Who are the poor that you gave aid to? Where did you volunteer your time Who are the vulnerable people that benefited from your compassion? Is there a lack of evidence there? If so, why? If you hear this and think, oh man, I guess I need to try harder so I've done enough good deeds that God will let me in. That's not the answer. Not the answer at all. Because fruit is the natural outgrowth of life. It is not hastily added, but it grows from a heart changed by God. And so if we feel like we are lacking fruit, the answer is not to staple fruit onto us to try to make us the right kind of tree. The answer is, oh God, change me from the inside out so fruit grows within me. And so these goats were guilty of sins of omission, which surprised them. But it's not just that. A second reason why they are so surprised is they were pointing to the wrong kinds of evidence. Evidence that we would consider ambiguous. Ambiguous? That's wrong. Ambiguous. Yeah. Ambiguous. Got it. We can use the wrong criteria for our judgment. James 2 points this out masterfully when he writes, You believe that God is one? You do well. Even The demons believe and shudder. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Good. So does Satan. Satan is not an atheist. He believes God exists. In fact, he knows stuff that like Christians would be like, well, I I know Christian stuff. I know today's Palm Sunday. That's why we got those things. We wave around. 
And I know what happened on Palm Sunday. And I know it's Easter this week. And so he like died on the cross and rose again. Jesus knows that too. Sorry. The devil knows that too. I hate to get those mixed up. (laughs) The devil knows the story of Easter. That's ambiguous evidence then. Well, I've, I've done religious rituals. I've been baptized. So clearly I'm a Christian. Weren't the Pharisees and the religious leaders very proud of the fact that they participated in all of the rituals? And yet, did they trust Jesus? That's ambiguous evidence as well. So what is the evidence? Jesus says, concern for the poor, especially the poor Christians, is evidence. See, the goats were surprised to learn they were in trouble, but something else weird in this passage The sheep were kind of like, oh, when did we do this? To them, these actions of compassion for the poor were not something they did to show their goodness or did to show God, here, look, save me. They just were like, oh, well, that's just what you said to do, right? That's what you wanted me to do. It's no different than an apple tree being like, wait, it's a good thing that I made apples? That's just in my nature. And so when God saves us, we produce the inevitable fruit of being God's people. And so that means we need to ask ourselves, do we simply think that avoiding bad things is good fruit? Do we point to the wrong kinds of evidence to support our faith? If that's the case, do we know Jesus? Not just know the story, Satan knows the story, but do we trust in him and his saving work on our behalf? Because in these parables and throughout the gospel, we see that it is possible for good people, for moral people, for religious people to miss it and be surprised that they missed it. Hear the warning of Jesus. When Jesus comes to judge, he will separate all people into two groups and only two groups. We often like to think there are three groups. There are the wicked that deserve to go to hell, those who believe in God and go to church, and those who are really committed Christians who live out their faith. And we like to think that there are those three groups. There are not three groups as much as we'd like to think that there are three groups. Jesus says there are two. There are only sheep and goats. There are not pigs. There are not cows. There are not seals or any other creature that we can think of. There are two groups. And one group are those Christians saved by God to bear good fruit, who are then blessed by God and inherit eternal life with him. And the other group is whoever's not in that group. And whoever's not in that group, whether they think they're wicked or not, it says they are cursed by God. That every single person, from every single nation, from every single time period, is in one of those two groups. What does the evidence say about you? If you were on trial, what would the evidence say about your faith in Jesus Christ? Would it reflect someone who has avoided doing bad things and believe God exists? Or 
Would your life reflect the fruit of faith that has grown out of a heart that loves Jesus because you have been loved by Jesus? And so you can't help but care for the poor and the needy because you were poor and needy when Jesus cared for you. If you do see this true evidence in your life, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God is doing a good work in you and that your faith is bearing fruit in this life and that you can be assured that you are saved not because of your fruit, but because the fruit is a sign of something deep within you that Jesus has saved you. If you do not see this evidence, then hear the warning of Jesus that Christian people bear Christian fruit. Don't try to do good works to be saved. Again, that's tying apples to trees in hopes that a pine tree will become an apple tree. It doesn't make the change. Instead, look to Jesus, the judge, and look to him, for he is a merciful judge. Look to him and see a God who forgives sins and is worthy of our faith. Look to him and see a God who has the ability to renew us from the inside, to change the kind of tree, the kind of person that we are so that we can bear fruit in caring for the poor and the needy for Jesus' sake. Hear the warning of Jesus and look to him, for he is our Savior who shows us love when we are poor and needy ourselves. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to hear the warning. Sometimes we can hear the warning and just walk right on by thinking it is not real or we can handle it or it must not be that serious. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear the warning. Scripture is full of so many things. It is full of encouragements and promises, but it is also full of warnings. So Lord, this day we ask you would give us ears to hear and hearts open to be changed. And we pray, O God, for those of us that know Jesus and love Jesus, that you would help us to bear fruit to help us to bear more and more and more fruit because that fruit benefits others and it tastes good. So help us, O oh God, give us concern for the poor by helping us to look back at our spiritual poverty when Jesus saved us for what a great Savior he is. Amen.